when Adam and Eve sinned, they changed the world. They went from a perfect environment to an imperfect environment, from a perfect relationship with God to a fractured relationship with God, and now we live in a fallen world. As a result of that, there is illness and disease. I read not long ago that about 30% of the ads on television are promoting some health remedy or some drug. That the average American spends 10% of their income on health-related issues. We eat oat bran for breakfast. You heard about the man who died and went to heaven, and he is being shown around, and it's just absolutely gorgeous, far more than anything he ever anticipated. And he said to the angel who was showing him around, Man, had I known it was like this, I wouldn't have eaten all that oat bran. But there is, we live in a fallen world, and it affects us physically. It also affects us spiritually. We are separated from God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, even though that is our condition, God is compassionate concerning our condition. The Bible says in Matthew 9:36, and seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them. And oftentimes in Scripture it mentions that Jesus was moved with compassion, or he felt compassion. So Jesus then has compassion for all of us in that condition, but he heals some. He feels compassion for all, but he heals some. Today we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture concerning the man at the Pool of Bethesda, which means house of mercy. And there were many people there who were infirmed and in need of healing, but Jesus healed the man. The Bible tells a story about the woman who had the issue of blood who came to Jesus desiring to be healed. She touched the hem of his garment and was made well. There were many people in the crowd who desired and needed healing, but Jesus healed her. Why is that? Why does the Lord not heal all people? Well, because his purpose is not healing, it is wholeness. And sometimes God uses our illness to bring us to wholeness. For instance, with the Apostle Paul, he prayed three times that the thorn might be removed from his flesh, but there is no indication that it ever was. And so Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest in me. Helen Keller wrote, I thank God for my handicaps, For through them I have found myself, my work, and my God. Take your Bibles, please. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse number 1 as we look at the story at Bethesda. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And a certain man was there who had been 38 years in his sickness. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, 
He said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Today I want to speak to you on the subject of wholeness. And it begins with a desire. Now, you'll notice there in verse number 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? Folks, wholeness begins with a desire on our part. Now, there is no question about the ability of God. God is able to bring wholeness to our lives. The Scripture says in Isaiah 59, 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is His ear so dull that it cannot hear. God is fully capable of making us whole. You know the stories in the Bible about the ten lepers who came to Jesus and said to Him, Jesus, if you will, you can make us well. And Jesus healed them. You know the story about Jesus on the outskirts of Jericho and Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, was there. He began to cry out to Jesus and Jesus had him to come to him. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to see. And so Jesus gave him his sight. There is no question concerning the ability of God to bring wholeness. Dr. Will Mayo of Mayo Clinic said, I have seen patients that were dead by all standards. We knew they could not live, but I have seen a minister come to the bedside and do something for them that I could not do, although I have done everything in my professional power. But something touched some immortal spark in him, and in defiance of medical knowledge, And materialistic common sense, that patient lived. Does God have the power to heal? Absolutely. There is no question concerning the ability of God to heal. The Lord has the power to mend marriages that have been given up on by the counselors and pastors. I can think back in my ministry of so many that have been healed. There was one in particular in a a former church... um, There was a judge who was known for being unfaithful to his wife. He had been for a long time. She was a godly woman, knew the Lord, loved the Lord, woman of prayer. She just continued to be faithful to the Lord, pray, trust the Lord. And I still remember when the Lord healed that marriage and brought them together. We had all given up on it long before, but God has that ability. God is able to restore. He is able to mend those marriages that have been broken. He is able to change lives. I look at the Apostle Paul that is such a dramatic change in his life on the road there to Damascus when the Lord touched his life and changed him. And he went from persecuting the church to preaching the gospel. And the Bible says, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. The very one who had been persecuting those who had proclaimed that message, and now he is proclaiming it because God has the power to change lives. No question about the power of God. 
No question about the ability of God to bring wholeness, but there is a question of desire. What is your desire? Do you wish to be well? Doctors Minereth and Myers wrote in Happiness is a Choice. As psychiatrists, we cringe whenever Christian patients use the word I can't and I tried. Any good psychiatrist knows that I can't and I tried are merely lame excuses. We insist that our patients stop saying can't and say won't instead. I won't get along with my spouse. They said that brings a sense of reality to what is there, because the reality is sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, we don't desire to be made whole. Truth is, there are some who do not desire to be healed physically. You say, well, that's absurd. Sure they, sure they do. No, not everybody. Not everybody. Well, why not? Well, there's some people who become comfortable with their disease. As a matter of fact, that has become their identity. And now then, their identity is the disease that has them. And so they're comfortable with it. In fact, some people have been sick so long with the same disease, they can even read their doctor's handwriting. There's some people just become comfortable with it. Sometimes we don't want to, to be well because we enjoy the sympathy that goes with being sick. I confess that there are times when I enjoy being sick. I mean, you know, Linda brings me stuff and checks on me and asks me how I'm feeling. And so sometimes I fake it, you know, just like some of you do. Because we enjoy the sympathy that comes with it. And not only that, but when we are sick, it exempts us from responsibility. You can't expect me to be at work. I'm sick. You can't expect me to go there. I'm sick. And so the truth is, sometimes we don't want to be made well. And the truth is also, sometimes we do not desire spiritual healing. There are some who prefer lostness, spiritual lostness. And my guess is, there are some of you here who really prefer being lost than being saved. But why is that? Why would anyone actually prefer it? Well, just think about it. If you're lost, no one expects you to attend church faithfully. No one expects you to be in the choir every time if you're lost. No one expects you to tithe. No one expects you to minister to other people if you're lost. So there are some people who prefer to be lost because that exempts them from a lot of the responsibility. The truth is also there are some Christians who prefer to be lukewarm knowing what Jesus said about it. I mean, I really don't want to be on fire for the Lord. Why? Well, because I don't want to be a fanatic. Goodness sakes. I mean, not that we're overrun with fanatics. We have fanatics when it comes to sports, but we don't have a lot of fanatics when it comes to Christ. Some say, well, I don't really want to get on fire for the Lord. I don't want to be seen as one of those fanatics. And then we also know that if I really get serious about the Lord, that there might be a sacrifice that's involved. We've read the stories. Simon Peter was on fire for the Lord, but he also became a martyr. We've read about Stephen who was on fire for the Lord, but he also was stoned to death. We know about the Apostle Paul who was on fire for the Lord, but he was beheaded. If I really get serious about the Lord, if I really sell out to God, my goodness, he might call me to be a missionary. 
And who wants to be a missionary? I mean, I've been working where I am. I've got things pretty nice. Who wants to be a missionary? It also precludes responsibility. When the Lord came to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Egyptian bondage. He said, Lord, let Aaron do it. When he came to Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, I want you to be a prophet. He said, I'm too young. When he came to Abraham and said, Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a child. He said, I'm too old. You see, sometimes even those who are believers really don't want to be sold out to the Lord because there might be a sacrifice that's involved. I read about the early days of Buddha. There was a man who came to him and said, I long to know the peace of heart and the serenity of life and the closeness with the divine that you have, but I cannot find it. Can you tell me how? And so the story goes that Buddha took him down to the river. They got out in the river. And then he pushed his head under the water and held him down there for a good while. And after a while, he came up and he is sputtering and spitting water everywhere. And Buddha said, what did you desire more than anything else in the world? He said, air. He said, when you desire God with the same intensity that you desired air, you'll find him. There is the question of desire. What do you desire? What do you want? That was the question that Jesus asked this man. What do you desire? And it's a good question for you and for me. What do we desire in life? Do we really desire the touch of God on our lives? Do we really desire his wholeness? And then we have to deal with the issue of blame. If you look there at verse number 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. So here is a man, Jesus asked him, Do you want to be made well? And so he had to explain why he had been there that long. He said, There's no man to help me. I mean, I've been here for 38 years. Nobody's helped me. And every time I'm about to get in the water, someone else gets in before I do. I'm in this condition not because of me, but because others have not helped me. Truth is, most of us always blame someone else, don't we? Always have. We always want to shift the blame to someone else. Going back to the Garden of Eden, the Lord confronted Adam and Eve. What have you done? And Adam said, Lord, that woman you gave me. And so the Lord turned to Eve and says, Eve, what about it? Lord, that snake you put in this garden, it's not my fault. It's her fault. It's not my fault. It's the snake's fault. But you know, the one that I like the best, I mean, talk about creative blame, has to be Aaron. Now, you know the story about Moses going up to receive the Ten Commandments, and while he was gone, the people decided that he wasn't coming back. And so they said to Aaron, Aaron, give us a God, make us a God, because it's obvious that Moses is not coming back. Well, Aaron made them a God out of their gold. He made them a God. When Moses came back and saw what had happened, he was absolutely incensed. And so he confronted Aaron about what had happened. Exodus 32:24. This is wonderful. This is his explanation, Aaron's explanation. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, 
And I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. I mean, isn't that great? Where did this come from, Aaron? Well, you're not going to believe this, Moses. They gave me their gold, and I threw it in there, and out jumped this calf. Here it is. It's not my fault, though. I mean, here it is. It's not my fault. Pilate didn't feel that he was at fault. When Jesus was brought to Pilate and he interrogated him, he concluded that Jesus was not guilty of anything. And then he washed his hands. He said, I, I, my hands are clean. You see this? My hands are clean. I don't have anything to do with it. It's the fault of the people. Most of us are unwilling to accept blame for anything. Do you know that? Especially today. We always want to blame someone else. Maybe it's our parents. I've heard people talk about, well, you know, when I was a kid and my parents made me go to church, that's the reason I'm, I don't go today. And then you talk to someone else, and well, when I was a kid, my parents never took me to church. That's the reason I don't go today. We just want to blame someone else. It's society's fault. It's the parents' fault. Somebody else's fault. King William of Potsdam visited a prison in England. Every prisoner there asked for a pardon. Because they were innocent, they said, except for one. There was one person in the prison who said, I am guilty of the crime for which I am in prison. King William turned to the warden and said, get this guilty man out of the prison before he corrupts all these innocent men. And he freed him. Most of us will not accept blame for our condition. We want to shift it somewhere else. Why are you here? Do you want to be healed? Yes, I want to be healed, but every time I start to get in the water, somebody gets in before me. Now, for wholeness to come, there's a stretch of faith. You see in verse number 8, Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your pallet, and walk. Four decades this man had not stood on his feet. And Jesus told him to do three things that he could not do. He's going to be stretched. He said, Arise, arise. I'm crippled. How am I going to arise? Take up your pallet. They've carried me here on this pallet. How am I going to take up my pallet and walk? I can't walk. That's the reason I'm here. Do you see that for him to be made whole, that his faith had to be stretched? Arise, take up your pallet and walk. Now look at verse number nine. And immediately the man became well. Lord healed him, and I love this because it was instantaneous. This was not something that happened gradually. Just like that, instantaneous. Not only that, but it was complete. Now, wouldn't you expect a man who had been crippled for 38 years and his legs surely had atrophied, that when he stood up he would wobble just a little bit? But there's no indication that he wobbled at all. He was instantaneously healed. He was completely healed. And it was undeniable. A, a miracle had taken place. There's no question about it. A miracle had taken place. This man had been there for 38 years and Jesus healed him. Folks, spiritual wholeness also stretches our faith. And God challenges us to believe the impossible. The word impossible is used nine times in the Bible, all nine times in the New Testament. Five times it speaks of those things that are impossible with man, but possible with God. You see, it is important that we understand that God is the God of the impossible. Because if we do not, we lose our faith. We don't believe in the supernatural because that's impossible. If we do not believe in the God of the impossible, we lose our faith, we lose our vision. 
We lose our expectancy. So we don't witness to people because we don't expect them to be saved. There are some of you who have loved ones. You really would like to see them saved. But you have not told them about Jesus. You've not given them the chance to trust Jesus. Why? Because you really don't expect them to be saved. Unless we believe in the God of the impossible, we don't pray for those who are sick. Because we don't expect God to heal them. Unless we believe in the God of the impossible, we don't ask the Lord to meet our needs because we don't expect God to meet our needs. And yet God is the God of the impossible. He has all power. Folks, the Lord has the power to save. Now, we saw Morgan being baptized this morning. What a sweet little girl she is. Who would not expect her to be saved? These children. I mean, that's easy, isn't it? I mean, you just expect them to be. But what's, what about someone who's a real scoundrel? Can God really save them? Some of you have heard the testimony of Iris Blue. I met her years ago. And then she went to work with the uh, North American Mission Board. I'm not sure what she does now. But uh, there was a pastor in Arizona, Phoenix, uh, where she lived. She was a prostitute there. And there was a pastor who began to witness to her, talk to her about the Lord. And as time went by, she came to the place where she decided that she wanted to be saved. She wanted a different life. She wanted to be changed. And so the pastor wanted to make sure that she was serious about that. And he says, well, Iris, he said, I want you to go down with me to the street where you work. And she did. And there on the street where she had been a prostitute... He said, now I want you to kneel and invite Jesus into your heart. And she did. And Iris in her testimony says, I I knelt down a prostitute, but I stood up a lady. See, that's what God does in our life. God has the power to save. He has the power to change lives. He has the power to heal. He has the power to restore. So the question is, what do you want? What do you want me to do? After the Lord makes us whole, there's a doxology of praise. You'll look there in verse number 14. Jesus had healed him. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse may befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Have you noticed that in your life? When you absolutely know that I have been touched by Jesus, that you want people to know it was Jesus who touched you, that my life has been changed and it was Jesus who changed my life. That's what this man did. Thirty-eight years he had been lying there. And Jesus came by and healed him. And he told the Jews it was Jesus who made me well. I read a little story about a woodpecker up in a tree, and he's just packing away at that tree. There was a storm taking place, and lightning was flashing everywhere, and the woodpecker just kept on pecking away. Well, after a while, lightning hit the tree where he was and split it in half, and the woodpecker flew off. And then a little while later, he came back with some of his friends, and he said, there it is. I just wanted you to see what I did. 
And that's the way we are sometimes. I mean, the Lord in His grace and in His power and in His mercy changes our lives. He lifts us up and turns us around and we become a child of God. And we go around and say, look what I did. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. And if you did, it's not eternal. Folks, if we only clean ourselves up, it's not eternal. It's when we are touched by the Lord and the Holy Spirit fills us and we are quickened by the Spirit that we become a child of God and we are different. That is something that only the Lord can do. That's the reason that I worry sometimes about so many people in the churches. And if you really talk to them and ask them about their spiritual condition, they'll tell you, I'm a Baptist. Boy, I was brought up in a Baptist church. Let me tell you something. That's not going to mean much to God when we stand before Him. Are you counting on being a Baptist to get you to heaven? Because nobody's going to heaven because they're a Baptist. Some people will say, well, I've been baptized. I was baptized when I was 12 years old. Well, that's good, but you might have just got wet. Were you saved? Because that's what God does. And only God brings to self. Oh, I went through catechism. Well, wonderful. I hope you learned something. But do you know the Lord? Folks, I just want you to understand that that is the work of God. And only God can do it. Only God can change your life. Only God can make us to become his child. So when I read there in verse number 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? May I ask you that question? Do you wish to get well? Do you wish to be whole? Do you wish to be forgiven? Do you wish to be a child of God? Then that's our invitation today. Folks, if you're here without Jesus Christ, but you say, yes, I do. I do wish to be made well. I do wish to be healed. I I do wish to be a child of God. I do wish to be forgiven. He is able. Do you wish to be saved? Our gracious Father in God, I pray today that your spirit might move in our midst, that you'll speak to hearts. And Lord, I just pray today for those who are here without Jesus Christ as Savior, for those who worship with us by television who have never come to know Jesus as Savior. Father, that today they would say, yes, I wish to be saved. I want Jesus to save me. Lord, there are other decisions, commitments that need to be made, and I pray that they will. But bless this invitation time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand and the choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here without Christ as Savior, come today. The staff is going to be here to receive you. Come. They'll pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors open to you. Get on fire for the Lord. Get on fire for the Lord. Count for Him. Let's join together to share the good news of Jesus. You come. Let's stand together as we stand and they sing. You come. I greet you as you do.